Right, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Press the big blue button. There we go. <laughs> Good afternoon. Today I'm talking to the lovely Sean on the release of his new book, The Grifter. Hi, Sean. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so I am a full-time writer. I've been writing since 2012 when someone bet me I couldn't write a book. Um, I'm an arrogant git, so I decided I had to have a go. So I did. Uh, three weeks, two days later than that, I finished Dead on Demand. It's dreadful, but it's free, so go grab that. Uh, and since then, I've got a little bit better with each book. Uh, and this one is my ninth, I think, book. And I think this one's probably the best one yet. It's not the only one I'd buy. I mean, the others, maybe not, but... <laughs> Um, and would you like to tell us a little bit about your new book? Uh, so The Grifter is the tale of two men. One is a guy called Kent Bancroft, and he is running the world's biggest Ponzi scheme and trying to con everyone out of all their money. And then on the other side, we've got his victim, who has basically had all of his life savings, all of his compensation money he got from an injury taken, and he wants revenge because he's got nothing. He's ended up on the streets, and it's crap for him. Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. <laughs> Uh, did you always want to be a writer? Uh, so I, I've been asked this a few times and basically I went, went to a quite crap school and most people in my school did like, you know, bin man, that sort of end of things. So we did a careers thing for like year nine, eight, nine. And I said, I started up and said, I wanted to be a lawyer. And they're like, yeah, right. That's not realistic. And they're like, what's your second choice? I went, well, I want to be a writer. So I just got laughed at. So uh, I don't swear there, but um, yeah, I've done both. Or a bit of both. But I, I basically, I'm good at telling lies for a living. <laughs> being a lawyer, being an author, pretty much the same thing. You just make up crap. And it all sounds convincing. So the more convincing it is, the more money you make. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I guess when you were about to write a book, then you enjoyed it more than you realised, which is why you have carried on. Well, I thought it was a bit rubbish, to be honest, the first time I read it, Mac. Um, but then somehow the first year it was downloaded like 55,000 times in one day in September. Uh, hit number one. And I was like, well, you know what? If people are willing to give me money for this, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so far, out of all the books you've written, who's been your favourite character to write? Uh, it would probably Kent Bancroft in this one. But uh, it's, it's, I like the idea of trying to take someone who is obviously evil, um, but make you feel a little bit sorry for him and all the crap that he gets thrown at. It, it's really quite hard to deal with. And you see that he's under pressure from all sides and he's told a few lies and he's trying to keep his business going. And obviously he's not an honest guy, but he's sort of failing in spite of that and just torturing him with the failure of the Ponzi scheme, the ex-wife, the current wife and all the things that our, our antagonist is doing to him. It's quite fun. Yeah, I imagine it was quite fun, actually. I didn't feel sorry for him as a knob. <laughs> yeah, but then that makes the ending sweeter. Yes, it does. Yeah, that was a uh, yeah, cheeky ending. Um, and if you were to be transported into any of your books, which book would you choose and what character would you be? I mean, I kind of kill everyone in all of them, so... I mean, that sounds a bit dreadful. Um, you must have some survivors. Yeah, I'll be the, the nice guy that adopts the little kid at the end of Cleaver Square. <laughs> I don't kill him. <laughs> you wouldn't want to have any fun along the way in any of the others? Oh, I'm not very violent. I'd be rubbish at being violent. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to kill you. 
mean, I defend myself, but that's not the same thing, is it? No, I suppose not. <laughs> I mean, I look big and scary, but I'm a bit of a coward. <laughs> Aren't most people? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, what's been your most difficult scene to write so far and what's been the most fun? Uh, so the most difficult scene was the one I was talking to you about before we started recording. And that was the, 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 the hideous murder in the evolution of a serial killer. Uh, just because it's such a gruesome murder that, it, as I explained to you off before we started recording, it's not my idea. I'm not completely psychopathic. I got it from a friend of mine who is, is brilliant, but just it made me shudder every time I tried to write it. <laughs> it's just one and not when you're flinching away from a scene and writing it because it's so ah, you know that everyone else is going to have the same visceral reaction when they read it. But at the same time, you can't have some help but have like grudging respect for the murderer for coming up with a kill that's so clever and you don't get your hands dirty in doing it. I mean, that book as a whole was, was great fun because the idea on that one was that uh, Morton had been he'd pissed off his superiors. He'd been assigned to do teaching duties and he's got a class of young detectives, all of whom are basically trying to steal his job. Uh, and he sets them the challenge of all plotting the perfect murder. Says, how would you kill someone, blah, blah, blah. And they want us to come up with the, their idea of the perfect murder, and he'll tell them how to catch them. Really good teaching opportunity, except for one of his class is in fact a serial killer who's only joined the police in order to learn how to commit the best murder. And so they, the bodies start piling up one a week, obviously taunting him. His superiors don't believe it's a, super, a serial killer on the loose and think he's made it up just to get back in their good graces. And so he's got that sort of tension personally and professionally. And of course, you've got this ticking clock where you know that every Saturday night another body will drop. And you know how it's going to happen. You just don't know to who or where. And I just love that. That it's, it's just so much suspense. And I like the reader being a little bit in on it. It's that vicarious exploration of something that's horrendous and dark. And I think that's one of the things that's great about crime fiction is you get to read in a safe way all these terrible things. And then at the end of it, hopefully, most books, you'll have a nice clear resolution and the restoration of law and order and all the rest of it. And you don't get that in real life. You don't get that clean, nice ending. <laughs> Most times, shit just goes wrong and it stays that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. You deal with one thing and another thing hits you. It's just constant. Yeah, it is. Yeah, adulthood. Yeah, being an adult sucks. As a kid, you think, oh, I want to grow up. I get to do everything I like. It's just not the same, is it? I mean, being a kid is so much easier. But yeah, I know. It's such a con. Why, why did we want to be adults? Well, I don't get it. Getting older is no fun. No. I know, and then seeing other people get older, and then they tell you not to get older. So I have no choice, do I? <laughs> oh, but yeah. thanks. Pause on that. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But no. Yeah, I mean, you want to sort of press pause at about, I don't know, what, 27, <laughs> 28, that sort of age. Just in old enough, you know what's up, but young enough, you can enjoy it still. Yeah, absolutely. And your body doesn't feel like, you know, you're 100 <laughs> and everything hurts. <laughs> That's one of the downsides to writing books for a living is you sit in front of a computer all day. And by the end of it, you're like, ah, my wrist hurts, my back hurts. I've got all the ergonomic stuff. I'm doing the right things. But at the end of the day, you're just not built to spend it all on computers all day. It's just not how humans are designed. No, maybe in future evolution, all these weird authors will create some different type of body <laughs> to sit. Well, it'll be something like weird that you download the, the story from your brain. That's kind of terrifying. God, there'd be story in that. <laughs> Yeah. That could be like a branch off into sci-fi. 
Yeah. See, he knew that was come out of this interview. <laughs> well, I did think about doing that a while ago. That um, I, um, a friend of mine, a beer, uh, said about sci-fi being the hot new thing, and uh, we had a coffee and brainstormed a bit. And then I went away and sat on my computer for a few hours and typed out this idea for a book in which uh, some sort of RNA protective thing totally made up obviously no science really behind it has uh, been identified and we're all born with a limited amount of it and if you could sell it what would society look like if you could bottle youth effectively and sell it on the open market i mean you can imagine a society in which instead of putting people behind bars for crimes they just take a bit of the life out of that and they could give it to someone else and you could certainly have all these weird societal constructs who deserves to live rich get to live longer and of course that's going to be self-perpetuating Young people, therefore, might sell years of life in order to finance a home or a child or whatever. And you can have this really interesting, complicated world. But it feels like quite a big task to tackle something like that. It's a high concept idea, but you need a specific, all the stuff that breaks it down to a small idea before you can sort of break it. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> I <read it. laughs> I then thought, well, in that world, how would you want your like utopia to look? And then... If you think about the things that really plague the world now, uh, people can't afford homes, all the rest of it. And you might think, well, one of the reasons behind that is that inheritance means that people are not born equal. So what if we took all children away at birth? I mean, that's a horrible thing to do. But in a utopian equal society, you could see all the children get evaluated in some neutral, abstract place and then given their ideal career based on their abilities, intellect, aptitude and desires. But then you've got this horrible dystopia in which you've got children who are essentially pigeonholed into jobs early on in life and you could imagine then you need some sort of rating system i mean amazon and their rating system obviously i'm scarred by it and so i'd love to write a book that, that basically uses that idea and you can imagine you get children who've got priority 10 they become like the, the workers who go and collect the refuse then you've got like priority six people who work in middle management and then you've got the, the priority one people who be the most important of all the politicians the, the scions of industry the royals and you can imagine that in the world which exists in the far future you might see london's turned into all these monolith towers that are you know hundreds of meters high and you can see almost like a physical breakdown with the, the poor people at the bottom literally and figuratively and the rich people at the top then you throw in the idea of them being able to sell age and suddenly you've got people living forever at the top of the towers and people selling their lives at the bottom and what would those people's lives look like and the society in which they live you've got lots of different ideas you could explore there i mean that make a really good netflix show yeah it would <laughs> i not write it before i do <laughs> okay fine but you better write it soon then <laughs> no pressure i'm working on it <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the most interesting thing you found while doing research for your books? Um, quite a few things, to be honest. There's, there's lots of little details I, I like to, to include. So I read a book that was about uh, 16th century burials, just a random one that I picked up. And in it, it was about what do you say on a tombstone if you've got nothing nice to say? And there was a whole explanation that one of the traditions of um, this particular little local place at the time in the 16th century was that if the guy or girl who died was a complete shit, instead of writing loving mother, father, husband, blah, 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 and eulogising them, they just simply put, here lies so-and-so, nature's debt repaid. I just thought that was really, really nice, the idea that <laughs> there's this debt we owe to nature and that rather than eulogising their non-existent achievements, you can basically slam the dead guy by putting nothing. So damned with faint praise. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I had no idea about that as well. 
<laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I, I shamelessly stole that one for a book. That's in... Uh, oh, God, which book did I put in? <laughs> I can't even remember now. Uh, the one which... There was a murder at Highgate. It's not that one, not that one, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the patient killer. Yeah, the patient killer, I think. It's a problem. Once you've written a million words, you're like, oh, which one did I put that in? And it literally is a million words at this point, so... Yeah. Uh, once I read them, I'll text you and, or I'll message you and say, it was this book, actually. <laughs> I'm sure someone will be like, I remember that. Why doesn't he remember it? Yeah. <laughs> like as an author, you should remember everything about every character. And then I pick it up and I'm like, oh, this is good. <laughs> I saw someone share a, a quote from a book earlier on, my, on Twitter, and I was like, oh, that's a really, oh, yeah. That was my last. <laughs> I felt really smug <laughs> At least it still stands the test, so that's good. If you think yeah. it's still good, then yeah, that's pretty I think it's a good one. It's interesting. It's unique, and I don't. I mean, I read a lot of crime. You've said you read so many crime novels, and yet I've never seen anyone do something quite in the same vein. No, which is why, um, which is what I'll be saying in my blog post on Tuesday. But yeah, <laughs> that's why. Um, yeah, that's why I loved it. It was just brilliant. Um, yeah, you saw my review anyway. So it's, it's, it's using the two, two points of view and having two authors to try and make sure the, the points of view are different, which works beautifully. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah, um, and quite a lot of other reviews have said that as well. So you're safe. It's not arrogance, it's truth. <laughs> it's arrogance is when you can't back it up. Yeah, exactly. And you can. So it's all good. Well, so far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You missed the chance. Not plenty more books to write, so put it in the front of the next one in your praise for <sighs> section. <laughs> I don't think I've ever put one of those in a book. It just feels really arrogant. I know I don't care either, but if I have to tell you about people saying how good I am, is it really praise? Because surely they should tell you. So it's like that and the, the, the titles where people got an absolutely gripping thriller with an unforeseen twist you'll never see coming. You've just told me about the twist. Of course I'm going to see it coming. Yeah, it's going to be like <laughs> A pretty good crime novel, above average, well worth the 99p, please buy me. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably and not going to change your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, do you have any fears or phobias and um, would you write about them or have you written about them? Uh, so my biggest fear is heights. I hate heights uh, and I hate snakes. Um, so to try and deal with my fear of heights, I've tried to go high places and uh, I am a complete coward. I can say I've done them, but I suppose that's a good thing that you can be scared but still do it. Uh, so uh, I think I did uh, the El Caminito del Rey in Malaga a couple of years ago and that's terrifying. You know, There's a little... like wire bridge you walk across and you can look down and see three four five hundred feet down into the canyon uh, and you know, i went across it but i went across it basically going really really fast so i could get to the other side and stop and i turned around <laughs> and my partner's just there with the camera just going oh look nice picture of my feet <laughs> somehow not that, that that wise uh and snakes i did uh, a murder in dead on demand using typoxin which is one of the deadliest snake venoms there is um and that's quite rare and gave me an excuse to go to London Zoo and all the rest of it in the book um, so I try but I still don't want to hold a snake and I don't want to hold a snake one at the top of the ladder 
<laughs> no. <laughs> I suppose from the top of a ladder, I can just drop the snake off. So, nah, swings and roundabouts. Maybe that's a good thing. Go put on someone's head as they walk oh. past. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally with you with snakes as well. Just, oh, I can't stand them. Just, nah, it's been British, isn't it? You don't have snakes very often. I mean, we've got adders and grass snakes, but you don't even see those. Yeah, just uh, seeing pythons and stuff in the zoo, it's just like, oh, they're huge. What the fuck? They're just ridiculous things. Like, why? Just why? You don't need to be that big. Yeah. You see them shed their skin and just leave it all behind. <laughs> no, again, why? Just no. <laughs> just no. Great murder method. You know, drop a python on someone's head. Yeah, probably knock them out to begin with before it yeah. bit them and strangled them or whatever. <laughs> yeah, maybe something to think about. For a future book. <laughs> yeah, drop it from a height. That combines my two fears into one murder method. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'll get revenge on you uh, for writing me into your book and make you the victim. <laughs> oh, fair. Now, now that is an idea. <laughs> okay, that's just... I probably it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, yeah. I'm waiting for people to read it, actually, and see what they say I've about that. I've seen a few commenters. Have you seen Donna's in this one? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put myself forward. Two people volunteered me for that. Yeah, they did. They did. Unlucky. <laughs> it's <was laughs> yeah. completely random. But your name was in the hat twice, so. Yeah. Awesome. People just love me, apparently. Then they just want to see me. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I'll get my revenge on them as well. It's fine. Some people <laughs> just crop up in so many books. You're like, how did that happen? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to <laughs> looking forward to killing you with a python up a ladder. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you totally deserve that. <laughs> You'll be fine. Ish. Yeah. I'll survive, hopefully. Yeah, maybe. I survived, I suppose, so I can't exactly kill you off. Yeah. You might have a complete nervous breakdown with your two worst fears though. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll read it and I'll have a nervous breakdown vicariously yeah I wouldn't want to do that but it'd still be fun I kind mm. of deserve it I mean <laughs> yeah I know. I'm not going to spoil it either but yeah <laughs> I think I have to read it just to see what I've done to you <laughs> yes they do yeah <laughs> outrage so we come and say like, oh, what did he do <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, that's fine. I'm over it now. The therapy has helped. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so far, being an author, is there one standout moment for you? What's been your best moment? I think it was the first time I got a nice, big, hefty Kindle All-Star bonus. I mean, the money was nice, um, but <laughs> it was the fact that, you know, out of millions and millions and millions of books on the store, getting a big bonus when you're in, like, the top 30, it's quite nice. And I think that month I got like five bonuses at once between four books and an author one. Just You know, it's almost like when it rains, it pours. You're either doing really badly and nobody knows you exist or you're, you're doing really, really well. And there seems to be very little middle ground. <laughs> I mean, it feels a bit weird because you get the bonuses when you've already made a reasonable amount that month. 
and you're like, I'd rather have that bonus when I'm not doing so well. Almost like a pity bonus. Oh, you've only sold 10 books this year. Obviously, I'm not starving, but <laughs> rent is not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what's your biggest dream or your biggest goal? Uh, Honestly, I don't know. I mean, what, if, I, if you asked me 10 years ago, I'd say write a book. And then I just said, write a book and have it sell. And then write a book and have it hit the top 100. And the thing is, as soon as you sort of get one, you're like, oh, not bad. But now I have to move the goalposts. I mean, I'd love to get like an US number one. Just crack America. But I mean, Americans are harder to, to you know, befriend. <laughs> I'm working on it. Hopefully they'll take to a quirky British author killing people in really weird ways. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'm, I'm sure they'd like some British authors, so... Yeah, there's probably a token few. Yeah, exactly. So maybe why not you? More, more received pronounced. A posher accent might do it. Or maybe I need to go the other way and go really cockney. That could be fun. Yeah, well, they liked my common Luton accent when I went over there, so... <laughs> there we go. Got to imitate your Luton accent. Oh, that's not that. I can't do accents. I'll give it a go, but it always goes slightly wrong. I didn't think I had an accent. I have been uh, corrected frequently on this. I just assumed that I didn't. Most of the Midlands doesn't have much of a distinct accent. You get north and you know you're north. And as you come south, you get a few A up me docks and that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the Geordie. And of course, then you get an Irish accent and you know that's much more distinctive again. And you can certainly tell on a lot of it, but for, for such a small island, we have a lot of accents. I'm always amazed by that. But have you read uh, The Yorkshire Shepherdess? Which has got so much in the way of vernacular in there. It's amazing. It's a very, very good book, all about you know, farming and all the rest of it. Uh, and it, it sells through month by month. So it's, it's, it's lovely to read. It's well worth picking up. And you're just amazed that if you're American, you picked that up, you're going to have no idea what they're on about. <laughs> Like, I didn't know that you is a yow up there. So, I mean, London, I think, is a bit easier on the accents, but you can still go quite, quite cockney. Bit of rhyming slang just to confuse everyone. Yeah, I love that. And I'm sure that's changed as well. I'm sure different people use different rhyming slang as well to mean the same thing. Just like, you know, base in a gravy, the baby. And yet, army and navy is gravy. So... If, if you're not in on it, you just don't know what the hell's going on. No. Which, yeah, it's, it's quite funny, I suppose. But, oh, my God, you have no chance trying to understand people. No. Um, if you were able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Uh, well, I think I'm obliged to say Ali Gunn. But, but apart from uh, that, uh... Yeah, apart from... Hmm. I'd like to meet J.K. again. I mean, I, I met him as a kid, just getting the book signed. But I mean, Harry Potter. I, 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 mean, I can't hide it. I love Harry Potter. I love the books. They're great. And I grew up as like the same age as Harry. I mean, forgive the lines. I'm actually that young. But <laughs> I think I was like twelve or thirteen when the first one came out. And so it was just the right age for me to read them as I went, which was really nice. And I think there was a whole generation that had that experience, and it's just something unique. Yeah, I'm so jealous. I love Harry Potter as well. Absolutely, just oh, I've read them books so many times. So yeah, that's it's one of those stories you can pick up and reread and reread and reread. I mean, even after reading it like a hundred times, I didn't realise Dumbledore was gay. But 
apart from that. <laughs> I certainly didn't realise one of the characters was black. I mean, she didn't mention that anywhere. Right, there's yeah. no, no mention at all of ethnicity, sexuality. There's a lot of stuff she's added after the fact, which is a bit cheeky. Yes, it is. But, yeah, well, she can, really. Well, she you can. Know. She's allowed to do what she likes. She's got one yeah. I mean, I don't blame her. No, me either. <sighs> yeah, I know. Have you been to the studios? No, I haven't. I mean, I keep seeing pictures like Butterbeer. That sounds really fun. You have to go. You have to go to the studios. It's awesome. I've been two or three times, I can't remember. And the level of detail I put into the films was phenomenal. It blows you away. Yeah, I do like the films. Whereas like The Hobbit, I feel like they could have done one film. Another franchise, I really love the books, but the films, not so much. Especially when you watch extended editions, you're like, oh, do you really need all that detail? Yeah. I haven't read The Hobbit and I've read the first two of The Lords of the Rings and not the third. I couldn't get into it, weirdly. But I've seen all the films, I think. Oh, I love the books. Apart from the Silmarillion, the like, spin-off one about the lore of the world, I just found it dreadfully dull. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I decided last year to read War and Peace just to do it. So I'm sure I could get through the last Lords of the Rings book now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know why I've done that. Back to it. Read a 2021 challenge when you've finished writing your own book and reading everyone else's. Yeah, and um, yeah, redoing a bit of my degree and doing these. It's yeah. Pretty full time. Let's wish it in somewhere, it's fine. If not, it'd be a 2022 challenge. <laughs> it'd be a 2023 challenge. Yeah. Eventually, we'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. It's on my to do list, which just extends. They get longer and longer, don't they? Yeah. Like every day I shift a few things to tomorrow's to-do list. And I'm like, did I really not get that done today? <laughs> I know, it's stupid things as well. But... Yeah, and there's always something that crops up that just distracts you. When you've got the, today I'm going to do it. I'm going to clear those things on my to-do list, have nothing to do. Of course, you never get there. Never. Yep. That's why I don't bother, actually. In my head, I know that I need to do stuff, um, but I don't have a list. I just get depressed. Well, I still haven't done that. I, I really like ticking them off. I find that really useful. Even the small stuff, if I just add it to my list, do it, tick it off. It's quite nice to start the day with half a dozen small tasks ticked off, you know, like, you know, post on your Facebook pages, do your emails, clear those, send out review copies, whatever you're doing. Things you can bash off really quickly. And then by the time you've had breakfast, you're like, yeah, I've done quite a bit. You know, I've got a dreadful habit of getting up at like five in the morning while I was writing this book just to try and I'm going to sleep. As soon as this interview is over, I'm sleeping until tomorrow's interview. <laughs> <laughs> I've got months of sleep to catch up on. Yeah. I have to get up at five because, you know, I get paid. To willingly do that is weird. <laughs> I'm hoping I get paid at some point. Good point, actually. Yeah, that's, yeah. I see a bit like, detached, though. I mean, you start writing a book in, in you know, August 2020, you finish it in March and you edit it for a few months. Then you spend thousands hiring editors, putting in all the graphics, doing all the stuff you need to do. And then it goes out in August, but Amazon pay a couple of months in arrears. So by the time you've been paid, it'll be like the end of October. It's going to be basically Halloween by the time I get paid for last August work, which it's quite, quite difficult on the cash flow front. You need to be continually writing new books. And of course, at 99p, the author gets 35p, which doesn't go very far. No. You need to sell a lot of books. 
I mean, I get that people love 99p. I love 99p books. I love free books even more. But if you pay 199, the author gets a pound 40, which is a lot more livable. It's just, you pay a tiny bit, the it just makes it sustainable. And it's quite hard to communicate that because people don't realise that Amazon's got the ridiculous split that if it's under a pound 99, it's 35% royalty and above that it's 70. And yet it makes such a massive difference to whether you can afford to carry on writing or not. And then limited yeah. is just complicated in the way they've done it. You know, they've got a pot and they take the subscription money, they put all the subscription money in a the pot, they divide it by a number of pages, but they decide what a page is because they've got this Kindle edition normalized page count and then they divide the pot by the number of pages and then they divvy it out. It's just overly complicated and it's not very opaque. Of course, the only people who really win are Amazon. Every stretch of the way, they're taking at least a third for just basically taking a file and putting it on your Kindle. And the charge to buy the Kindle in the first place, they're already in profit. It's a good gig if you can get it to be the middleman. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, they're just rubbing their hands together, laughing as all the pounds keep rolling. We're literally <laughs> spending it on going into space. In a rocket that looked like a knob. <laughs> oh, you said it. <laughs> we all know it's fine. <laughs> oh, I'm losing a knob in a knob.com. <laughs> Just did not think that design through, did they? <laughs> maybe they did. Maybe they just really wanted to be phallic. Yeah, well, it's going to be a meme forever now, so. You really want to go down in history as the guy that got inside a giant knob and launched himself into space. That's, it's a weird thing to be remembered for. Too late, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's happened. He's done it now. Yeah. <laughs> I think his ex-wife's having a lot of fun giving away all the money that she took in his divorce. She seems to be very, very generous with it. Lots of philanthropy going on. Yeah. It's like the biggest <laughs> fuck you to someone, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually. Oh, that would annoy me as well. <laughs> I suppose these really rich people get married. Fuck it, I wouldn't. It's like, you ain't ever my money. You can sort of. We can stay partners, but I'm not married. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> Maybe they can be broken, can't they, with someone really clever? Depends on the prenup, the jurisdiction, exactly. Yeah. The best ones is if both parties have had independent legal advice and it's relatively fair. I mean, like a walk-in, walk-out one or a 50-50 split, you know, it's much more defendable than I get all the money and you get screwed. But, you know, I'm a family lawyer, so don't ask me. <laughs> Not legal <laughs> advice. <laughs> I thought they were, we didn't do that in this country anyway. I thought that was very much an American thing. It was. It's an import from America, but in theory, prenups can be valid and postnups can be valid. Mm. Yeah, weird. <laughs> um, who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, celebrity crush. <laughs> um, it was probably Sarah Michelle Gellar when I was a teenager. Buffy, I mean, she's sexy. I can get a job on that. A 13-year-old watching Sarah Buffy Sarah Michelle Gellar. She was kick-ass. And there's your, like, your first strong woman on television. Like her and Xena Warrior Princess all at the same time. I've obviously got a type. I like strong women. <laughs> yeah. David Boreans, that's what I need to say. <laughs> yeah. We must be about the same age, actually, which is, yeah. I'm not saying anything in case you, yeah. But yeah. Might be on, on the internet somewhere. Probably is, no, my luck. <laughs> Plus, you can kind of work it out if you, you see like, bios that have got a degree year in. You're like, oh, yeah. 
probably got a degree at 21, so you take that off. You're pretty much there, aren't you? I know that's what makes me laugh. You're not allowed to put your age on a CV and stuff anymore, but you put the year you finished school yeah, or so that you've done this and done that. Years. Yeah. So, <clears throat> okay, it Quite just makes us <laughs> anonymize it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just means I have to do some maths, but that's fine. <laughs> I will still do it to work out an age. <laughs> Um, what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm such an introvert. I just hide. <laughs> I just try and avoid anything that's, that's particularly embarrassing. Um, if, if I have to be honest, it's probably a time I accidentally ended up, thanks mum, on television when I was like uh, 12. We went to, uh, to a filming of a kid's TV show on one of those Saturday morning things. Uh, for my little brother to watch live and they've asked for volunteers to be in the stupid costumes and then waddle around in the gigantic costumes looking like an idiot so it was probably that I, I mean I've never lived it down my first last and only television appearance <laughs> does she still have it proudly on tape somewhere probably does it does it get dug out for the girlfriends and stuff <laughs> not yet not yet thankfully well, hopefully she doesn't might, uh, watch this and just remind her. And <laughs> Ooh, well. I'm yes, safe. Yeah. I'm yeah. So. yeah, I know what mums are like. They love embarrassing their kids. <laughs> you did volunteer, though, by the sounds of it, so... Uh, I think I was volunteered. Yeah, OK, yeah, a bit different then. I'll let you off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you were stranded on a desert island, what three things would you want with you? Uh, food, shelter, and a way off the island. Nice. Failing, <laughs> Kindle, something to charge it with, uh, and then your yeah, food again. I mean, I like my food. <laughs> I can't be anything so, that food. <laughs> so the whole, you know, fruit and fish and stuff's not going to do it for you then? Oh, I like fruit, but um, I want some chocolate, some sweets, baked goods. Yeah, nice roast dinner, lasagna. <laughs> oh, now I've got to cook one of those two for dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Fuck it, we were talking about lasagna before, and I really fancy one as well, but I can't be asked. But in the next few days, I might have to. I think I might just go and do one in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just compare. <laughs> send you a photo of lasagna. Yeah, I just, oh, I'm going to have whatever crap I've got in the freezer. <laughs> I quite like making things and then putting a portion or two in the freezer and then you've got like your homemade ready meal and it's no extra work yeah Come, when I make it it's massive as well so I mean it has to otherwise I'll be eating it all week and it's alright for the first day or the second day but after the second day it's like oh no lasagna every day. <laughs> yeah no more lasagna please <laughs> I quite like things where you can sort of roll it over where you take one ingredient and use it for several dishes if you can do that, it's a lot more efficient. Or do a massive batch of chilli, freeze most of it, and then easy nachos from the freezer. That's a winner. Oh, yes, easy nachos. Oh, nachos and <laughs> yeah, or just like dirty chips with chilli and cheese. I quite like the Canadian approach, but gravy and cheese. I don't, I don't have very often, but it's a bit indulgent. Cheesy chips and beans was like the, the food of my youth and pot noodles. I had an obsession <laughs> with pot noodles as a teenager. They're awful. I mean, I don't know if they've changed the recipe, but I think they might have taken all the salt out to try and make them comfortable. But no, can't eat them. Yeah. I want actual food. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> yeah, they are just crap. <laughs> if you're gonna have a noodle, some of the Korean ones are quite good. Um, Nongshim make kimchi ramen noodles are quite nice. Yummy, yeah. I want to try kimchi sometime. I keep hearing about this. It's basically amazing. Get kimchi noodles, uh, a handful of spinach, put that in while you're doing your noodles, fry an egg, put it on top, and you've got a really, really quick, easy lunch. Yeah. Like, and after talking to you, I'm going to have to go shopping. <laughs> I need uh, to get this. Bulgogi bimabap is also quite nice. I can see the recipe okay. for that as well. So it's like uh, rice, vegetables done in sesame or fish sauce or whatever you're fancying, and then either chicken or steak, most people put on top, or just vegetables if you're veggie, and then eggs, and then a, a homemade chilli sauce. It's really nice. It's yeah. a lot of work, but it's so worth it. Yeah, it sounds worth it. It sounds good. <laughs> Um, well, as we uh, seem to have distracted ourselves talking about food, actually, I don't have any more questions unless you think there's anything I haven't asked that you would like to tell us. I think, I think we've covered it. <laughs> but if anyone's got comments, leave them and I'll answer in text. <laughs> um, and just before we go, would you like to remind everyone uh, about The Grifter, where they can buy it from, all your other books, so, and uh, you... So if you want to find about me, just Google DCI Morton. Uh, for some reason, I put all of my stuff under the brand name for my first series. That one's got seven books and a novella, um, and they're all on offer this week. Uh, starting today, we've got four of them on countdown at 99p. We've got one free, and then another one's on countdown next week at 99p. Uh, then we've got uh, The Grifter, which is on launch offer, also 99p. I'm being very generous here, so please do buy. And uh, that one's the revenge story. Let's just start one rich guy, one poor guy, one wants a revenge, one wants to carry on stealing. See how that collides. Uh, and because I can't not, I've got to mention Ali's other book, The Curricular, which is also on Countdown this week at 99p, and it's very, very good. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. You. I'm going to go make a lasagna. <laughs>